My name is Lisa. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to be able to bring you the last message of our Christ in Us series. And it has been so fun to be able to go through this together with you and others in our church during the summer. I just want to give you a heads up that at the end of uh, the message today, we'll be celebrating communion together. And so you can begin preparing your hearts for that. And if you're online, uh, maybe you can get some elements uh, at home so you can join us. All right, well, we're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning. And just to give you a little bit of a kind of a big picture of the Gospel of John, John wrote this book and he tells us in John chapter 20, verse 31, he said this. He said, I write these things to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in his name, you may have life. You may have life. And so all throughout the book of John, John is making this case of saying, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And if you believe in him, you will have life in his name. Now, two, two kind of, um, I guess, writing techniques that John does is he writes about signs and he has I am statements for Jesus. There's actually seven signs in the book of John. You might recall the first one is when Jesus turned water into wine. And all these signs point to who Jesus is. And he's wanting to say, hey, don't pay attention necessarily to the sign, but pay attention to what it says about me and the significance of who I am. And so John lays out these seven signs, which is important for our story today. He also lays out seven I am statements, one of which we will look at today. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, I uh, just invite you to turn to John 6 this morning. And uh, before we start in verse 25, I just want to kind of catch up a little bit of what's happening in the chapter. So like I said, Jesus is doing these signs, and he just, could, he just did two. He did the feeding of the 5,000, pretty cool trick, <laughs> feeding of the 5,000 in the wilderness with five loaves and two fish, Felt, fed this enormous crowd. And then right after he fed the crowd, they were so amazed and they're like, wow, you must be the king. And, and they were ready to, to make him king by force. And he's like, no, not so much, not yet. And so he withdrew to a mountain by himself. Meanwhile, his disciples decide, we want to get in a boat, cross the Sea of Galilee, and go to a city of Capernaum. Now, apparently, Jesus wasn't too concerned about catching the boat ride, but I guess, why would you be if you could walk on water? <laughs> so they go ahead and they sail off on the boat that night. He is still on the mountainside. He catches up with them later, walks on water. They're freaked out. He gets in the boat. Now they're in Capernaum. Okay, so that's kind of where we're at, <clears throat> excuse me, in the story. Now this crowd, they fall asleep on the shore. They wake up. The boats are gone. There's like, where, where's Jesus? And so they say, well, we better go find this Jesus. He fed us. Let's go look for him. And that's where we pick up this story. So we're going to pick up in verse 25. Now, I find it interesting that you would think if you're starting a movement and you have a mass amount of people following you, you would think, perfect. This is exactly what I need. I need all these people to follow me. But as often is the case, Jesus surprises them with how he chooses 
to engage. Let's begin reading in verse 25. Reads, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? I find that interesting, don't you? I would have asked how if I were them. How did you get here? There was only one boat and all of a sudden, ding, you're in Capernaum. But they asked when. Wish I could give you an answer to that. Verse 26, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you. Now when he says very truly, that's emphatic. You are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. What does Jesus do? He ignores their question, completely ignores their question, and he calls out their true motivation like he likes to do. He says, very truly, you're not looking for me because of who I am. You're looking for me because you got (laughs) Chick-fil-A, the Lord's chicken, and you got it for free. He's like, I know that. He says, who cares that I'm God in the flesh? You're just hungry and you want more food. Now I know food can be, you know, a motivator. I've had some women tell me, they're like, Lisa, I'll go out on a date with a guy I'm not even interested in for the free food. (laughs) I said, you will, even if he's boring? Yeah, even if you're not even attracted to him? Yeah, like, well, Better be good-looking tacos then. (laughs) I have a friend who told me once, she said, um, my husband knows I love food. And um, one time he made the comment, he says, babe, I wish you'd look at me the way you looked at your sandwich. (laughs) Ladies, we like food, right? Not just the men. Food's a powerful motivator. And it's what drew the crowd to look for Jesus. But he's aware of this. And what he does, as often he does, he redirected his audience to a different kind of a hunger and a different way to satisfy it. He knew the crowd was approaching him for what they could get out of him. And before we're too hard on them, I think we do this too. Jesus, I'm coming to you because I just want something from you. I want you to make my life better. Come on, we all do that. Verse 27, let's see how he answers them. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. He's saying, not only are you coming to me with the wrong motivation, but you're seeking the wrong kind of food. You're seeking a temporary of food, a physical food. He says, but I have a different food to offer you, and it's a, it's a lasting food. It's a, it's a spiritual food. It's a food that doesn't spoil. And I find it interesting here that he, he uses the word work. He says, do not work for food that spoils. Now, they went through a lot of work to find him. I think. Now, I don't know if, I I doubt it was all 5,000 that crossed the sea because that's a lot of boats. But there was a mass amount of people that went through a lot of work to come find him. And and that could be a literal uh, meaning here, but I I also think that Jesus is getting uh, at something uh, figurative here. And he's talking about their way of life. He's saying, don't pursue the things in this world. Don't work for the things in this world that don't last misguided priorities. 
striving after stuff that is here today and gone tomorrow. And he's also, remember, this is a Jewish audience. They know what it's like to work. They follow rules. They follow the law. But here Jesus is saying, you know what? What you're pursuing will fail you. And I have a better way. So from here on out, Jesus launches into this discussion with the crowd to guide them into their true need, food that leads to eternal life that is found in himself. Remember, he is always trying to point people to who he is, his identity, and what he came to do, his purpose. So as we look at this verse, we also notice that he mentions eternal life. And what is exactly does he mean here by eternal life? Does it mean they'll never, never die? What does this eternal life mean? Something I learned this week is that there's three Greek words for the word life. In the English language, we only have one. Now, I'm not going to pretend to say that I know Greek, but there are these three words, and I wanted to just explain the differences between them and what makes this life, eternal life, different. So the three, number one is suke. And if you look at how it is written, you can see that's where psychology comes from. And it is like the soulish, soul-ish life. So when Jesus says, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, he is talking about suke, the soul. The second one is bios, B-I-O-S. That's where biology, physical life comes from. And in the words of Jesus, he says, anxiety, riches, and pleasures of this life will fade away. So life there is this physical life. It's like, it's like you're living. And then the third is the word zoe, zoe. And that word for life, it is a divine life. So when Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life into the full, he says, I have come to give you zoe, zoe to the full. Jesus is saying, I have food to offer you that leads to a life that is a divine life, a life that is outside of the physical realm that exists now present, that you can live it now, and exist all into eternity. It's a kind of life where you possess and exhibit the divine nature of God himself. His love, his joy, his peace, his patience. It's, it's a life that's not dependent on circumstances. He's saying the, the purpose, the reason I came was to live among you so that I could offer you zoe, Another way to say it is a kingdom life where heaven invades earth. Now, why could Jesus offer that? Well, we notice in the verse that he also refers to himself as the son of man, the son of man. Now, we've heard him refer to himself as the son of God and the son of man. The son of man here is actually a more bold statement of who he is because it's a callback to the prophet Daniel in chapter 7. When Daniel has this vision of the Son of Man coming from heaven, and it points to deity. So when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, he is calling himself God. As often the case, I think this flew right over their head, <laughs> and they didn't get it. Jesus also says, on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Well, what is a seal? A seal is what authenticates a document. It's what says, this is the real deal. 
Jesus is saying, I'm the son of man. I'm the real deal. And the father approves. Well, how does the crowd respond to this? Verse 28. Then they asked him, well, what must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So what do they say? They're like, Jesus, just tell us what to do. That's so human, isn't it? Just tell, just tell me what to do so that I can get what I want. And Jesus replies, it's not about doing. It's about believing. It's about believing in me as your source of eternal life. Now, I want to uh, just direct your attention here to there's a difference. They ask him, what must we do to do the works, plural, like a lot of stuff. God, tell us all the stuff we have to do. But Jesus res responds with singular work. He says there's only one work needed, and it's to believe in the one God has sent. He's saying to believe in me, believe who I say I am, Be believe that I am the one that has been sent from heaven. Essentially, he is saying, I am the Messiah, and I am king of the Jews. So I kind of summarize the conversation going like this so far. It's like he's saying, I know the real reason you're coming to me, and what you want is not what you ultimately need. And the way you're going to get what you need is not exactly what you think. And so they're stumped, and rightfully so. I mean, can you blame them? They just wanted some free bread. They just wanted some free bread, and all of a sudden things have gotten super weird and confusing. So, so they're going to keep digging in, verse 30. So they asked him, all right. Well, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and as it is written, they gave them bread from heaven to eat. So what does the crowd do? They're like, prove it. Prove it. Do a magic trick, Jesus. Do it again. Show us something to believe. I, I just find myself so much in, in, in this exchange, don't you? I mean, we're, we're trying to figure Jesus out sometimes and, and just give us another sign. Just tell us something so that we can believe you. Just, just do it one more time. But, but what I'm really confused about here is, isn't this the same crowd that just saw him multiply five loaves and two fish? Like, I don't know. I would think that would be enough, don't you? And again, what is good for us yesterday often is not good for us today. We just say, Jesus, give us more. They're like, we want a bigger sign. We want something from heaven, they say. They say, okay, Jesus, um, you claim that we should believe you for the so-called eternal life. All right, great. Do what Moses did. Remember that guy? We want you to do what Moses did for our ancestors. We want you to make, make manna fall from heaven like it did for 40 years while our people wandered in the wilderness. Do that, do that, and then we'll believe you. And you may wonder, okay, that's kind of, why would they pick this miracle out of all of them? Well, we get a little insight into that when we look into rabbinic teachings. And there's a teaching that says, 
uh, that was understood that as people anticipated and expected the Messiah, one of the ways they would know it was him is if he renewed the miracle of the manna. Yeah. So they knew this, and so they're like, okay, well, if you're really the Messiah, then we need you to renew the miracle of the manna. Do that. So they threw it back in his face to see what Jesus would do. Don't you just love it when characters in the Bible, they just decide to start play these theological games with Jesus? The conversation starts innocent and simple, and all of a sudden it gets really complicated and convoluted <laughs> real fast. It's like one minute they just want free bread. Next thing you know, they're saying, Jesus, duplicate that miracle that happened a thousand years ago, over a thousand years ago, and then we'll believe. Forget the signs you've already done. This is the sign we want to see to believe. So it's all about their conditions. Which, by the way, I find it ironic that demanding to see something to believe is kind of the opposite of faith. Don't you think? Faith is believing without seeing, but they're demanding to see something. So what does Jesus do? And I wonder if at this point he's thinking, really? Really? Manna? Make it come from heaven like our ancestors got? You want me to go there? Okay, I'll go there. We can go there. Let's get theological. And how does he answer them? Verse 32. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, and again, this is an emphatic statement, and he's ready. It's signaling that a truth bomb is coming. He says, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Verse 33, for the bread of heaven is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. So Jesus corrects them. And if you notice, there's a tense change. He says, it is not Moses who has given the bread, but it is my Father who gives. So he's saying, this miracle you wanted, that happened in the past and it happened one time. He's saying, but my Father is giving you this ongoing gift and it comes from heaven. Jesus corrects them by by exercising a common uh, form of Jewish teaching style. He's saying, it's not this, it's this. It's not Moses who gave you the bread, but it's, it's my Father in heaven who gives. You'll also recall in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said um, repeatedly many times, uh, he said, you have heard it say, but I say. So it's like this form of correction when you teach. And he's correcting him on at least three things right here. He's saying, number one, the bread from heaven, that wasn't from Moses. It was from my father. So let's give him credit where credit is due. Number two, the bread you talk about was just given at one point in history. But the bread my father gives is ongoing and it's lasting. And number three, the bread my father gives is the true bread. Jesus strongly claims that the Father's bread is the better bread because it's from heaven. And he says, and it's not just for you, it's for the whole world. 
He's saying, I have been sent to satisfy the spiritual hunger of the whole world. And remember, in this context, he's talking to Jews. And so for them to hear this, I mean, if they're paying attention, I would think their mind would kind of be blown like, oh, this isn't just for us, this is, this is for everybody. This invitation Jesus is getting, giving is for all people of all time in all places to experience eternal life in his name. It reminds me of a time uh, many, several years ago when I went on a missions trip. And it was out to East Asia, and we were told not to say the name of the country. This was a communist country, but it was a really, really, really big country (laughs) with a really, really, really big wall (laughs) that some people call great. Some of you might get that at lunch. So, so I spent a month out there, and I was at a sports university, got to know many students, and I remember one student in particular, so special. Her name was Amin. And we developed this quick friendship of hanging out, going for walks, sharing meals together on campus. And somehow, and I, I still remember kind of where I was walking on the sidewalk, I, to this day I remember, there was a moment, and, and I don't know if, if I had just said that I was a Christian or if she asked me about my faith or something, but she says, Lisa, could you tell me stories about Jesus? Could you tell me stories about Jesus? Because I don't know anything. She, she didn't, I mean, here in America, right, we have Christmas and Easter, and just by nature of growing up in America, you, you kind of hear a little bit about Jesus because of some of the holidays and stuff, but, but she knew nothing. And she's like, I want to know about this Jesus guy. And I remember when she told me that, in my head I'm thinking, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> and so I said, sure, you know, he's one of my favorite topics. I'll tell you stories about Jesus. And she just had this curiosity that was serious and it was genuine. And it continued to progress and it and it got to a point, I'm like, you mean, I'm just curious, I, I have this, I laugh about this now, we had these VHS videos of the life of Jesus, okay, with Chinese subtitles, yes, <laughs> you've never seen the life of Jesus till you've heard it in Chinese. Um, I said, I've, I've got this video, and uh, if you're interested, you, you could watch and, and learn about Jesus, and you know, a story, like, see it. And she's like, yeah, let's do it. So we went up to a, <laughs> we went into a dormitory room. This is back the old TVs, you know. You guys can see it. Kids, you might not know what I'm talking about. But I stuck in that VHS, and I sat down on the bed, and for two hours, I just prayed, God, I don't know what's happening. I mean, I can see the story, but it was just all in Chinese, and she's just glued to the TV, And she's just taking it in. And I remember thinking, I just feel like this is a really holy moment. And I don't really know what's going on in the spiritual realm, but I I think think she's making some connections here. And it's an incredible privilege to be in the presence of someone learning about Jesus for the first time in their life. And the movie was over, and we processed it a little bit, and I just remember being so amazed at the connections 
that she was making for someone hearing this for the first time. And she had questions, and so I opened my Bible, and we, we kept talking about it. And she came to this point where she says, you mean I have access to God? I said, yeah, through Jesus you do. He can give you a fresh start, a new life, hope. She's like, I want that. And so there in the privacy of this dormitory room in Shanghai, China, my friend Emin tasted the bread of heaven, the bread of life. Well, my, my trip was over, and I said goodbye a few weeks later, and I flew home, and we were talking on Skype. You remember that? <laughs> and she said, um, everybody here, a lot of my friends, they have American names. Could I, could I have an American name? I'm thinking, you want me to name you? <laughs> and I said, sure. So I'm like, God, please give me a name. So I started, you know, top 100 names or whatever. So I'm going through all this. And then I came across this name. And I got in touch with her later. And I said, Emin, I have an idea for a name for you. I said, what do you think about the name Zoe? I said, Zoe, it, it, it's from the Hebrew word, or Greek, Zoe. It means life. She says, oh, I like that name. I said, well, Zoe it is. And it's because Jesus has given you new life. Jesus has given you new life. The life that Jesus offers is for all people of any country, of any place, of any time. And in our story, as Jesus is, is talking to the crowd and he's trying to help them understand what is this bread of, of life he offers, in verse 35, he makes his declaration he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. Here Jesus is making his first I am statement in the book of John. He is saying, I am the bread of life. He is saying, the true bread I'm talking about, the true bread that comes from my Father and down from heaven is me. The only bread that does not spoil, it's me. The only bread that endures now and forever and is lasting is me. The only bread that will sustain you, that will fill your soul and satisfy your deepest longings, it's me. It's me. It's always been me. You came looking for me this morning because you wanted breakfast. But I'm offering you much more than that. I'm offering you me, my life in your life, my, my divine life in your heart. You want me to bring down uh, manna from heaven? You want me to prove myself? He says, I am the bread from heaven. I am the bread of life. Take me in every day. Believe me. Because I am the bread that will sustain you in this life. I am the bread that will help you endure and live with power and strength in this life. Now, unfortunately, the conversation up until this point for the Jews did not 
persuade them. Because Jesus says, he says, you have seen me, but yet you still do not believe. Now, if we would continue on in chapter 6 today, you would find that the conversation gets way more intense and way more confusing. And in fact, the conversation got so confusing that many of the followers decided to leave him and to say, we can't do this anymore. The 12 stayed, but a mass amount of the people in the crowd quit following Jesus after this. And can you blame him? Jesus said some confusing things. And the chapter closes with one of my favorite encounters that uh, the disciples have with Jesus. And he looks at them, he looks at the 12, and he says, are you going to leave me too? Are you going to leave me too? Because what I say is confusing and you can't quite figure it out. And Peter answers him. And he said, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe that you are the Son of God. Now, when I hear those words of Peter, I'm like, that's not exactly the most impressive profession of faith. Jesus, you're our only option. So I guess we're stuck with you. But you know what? It's honest. And it's real. And it's where Peter is. And if Jesus just said all the stuff that he did to them in chapter 6, I would probably be like, oh, I don't know. I go, I got no other else. I don't know ever else to go. So you're it. And so I connect with Peter here. Because I don't understand everything. And, I, and when I think about the options out there, I'm, I haven't found anything better in this world. So I choose to believe. Have you been there before? Perhaps you might be there today. You're wrestling with the truth of Jesus. You wonder, well, is this, is this really what God looks like when Jesus shows up? Is this, is this really who he is? Is this the so-called divine life that he offers and promises me because this does not feel divine? And if you're honest, you'd say, Lisa, life's a mess for me right now. So far from this, this divine life, so far from this Zoe Shmoe you talk about this morning. German theologian J.J. Jeremias, he writes this. He said, Jesus did not come to bring manna or to satisfy any other materialistic expectation of the people. His discourse is a vigorous protest against unworthy views of messiahship and a strong affirmation of the essentially spiritual character of the life he came to bring. This guy is saying Jesus didn't come to appease the crowds. He didn't come to fit into this messiah box that we've made for him. He doesn't try to defend himself, prove himself, explain himself, and he doesn't do that with us today. In fact, Jesus loves us way, way too much to let us settle for unworthy views of who he is. 
So who is Jesus to you? Is he someone that you just approach or seek so you can get something from him? Now, I'm not saying it's, it's wrong or bad to go to God with our requests. By all means, he says, ask. But is our only motivation in a relationship with God just because we want his stuff? Is he just a Sunday thing? Or do you seek him a desire to get to know him because of who he is? Jesus wants to give us uh, experience a deeper and a more divine life that this theologian describes as this essentially spiritual character of life. And this life, this zoe, is at the core of who you are, and it has nothing to do with circumstances. It's not contingent on whether life is going well, whether it's going your way or it's not going your way. It doesn't promise comfort or ease. It doesn't promise your dreams will be fulfilled or your deepest longings satisfied that are apart from him. But this life, this Zoe, it's real. And it's alive and it's full. Because it's a life of growing into the life of Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who modeled Zoe perfectly. You want to know Zoe? You look at the life of Jesus. And he invites all people to live this life too. When Jesus told the crowd, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent, he meant it. And this work of believing is really submitting to the work of Jesus. To the work of Jesus, to his life that he lived that was perfect, God in the flesh, to show us how to love and to serve people. It's his death that he died, an excruciating death, on our behalf so we could have peace with God so we could be reconciled, so we could be free of guilt and shame of our sins, so we could leave, live in freedom. And he rose again to make it possible so that all the wrongs in the world could be made right. And he ascended into heaven to pour out his spirit so that the spirit of Christ may live in us. So I want to leave you today with this thought of I am the bread of life. And if we could get that slide up, there we are. I am the bread of life. And I tried to think of saying it in some other words. I am the sustaining presence who helps you live an enduring, empowered life. I think that's what he's saying. Every single day, make me the one that you take in. Make me the one that you consume. Learn about me. Connect with me. Spend time with me. Why? Because I want to sustain you. Because I want to help you endure in this life that can get really tiring and really hard. And I also want to empower you. I want to empower you to love deeply and love extravagantly. I want to empower you to have peace in the midst of chaotic times. I want to empower you to have hope when everything tells you to despair. Jesus says, that is the kind of life that I want to offer you. That is the life that I have lived. It is the spiritual character of God that he wants to manifest in your life. 
and it's offered to you. Several times we've offered a breath prayer as a way that you can connect with God in the week, something that you can do as you go about your day, when you wake up in the morning, before you eat, when you drive, when you go to sleep. And this is a breath prayer that I have uh, been exercising myself in the last week. And it's simply this, breath prayer meaning you breathe in, bread of life. And then you exhale, come and fill my soul. Breathe in, bread of life. Exhale, come and fill my soul. It's a simple prayer to pray anytime as a way just to acknowledge, Jesus, you are the one that's going to sustain me, and you are the one that's going to empower me for my day-to-day. Would you come and you fill me? I also want to encourage you, you know, if, if the life of Jesus isn't something you know very well, read a gospel this week. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, pick one. Mark might be the shortest. Go for that. But if we want to really learn about this Zoe, this life that Jesus lived, read about him. And I also just want to also just, just want to speak. If you're a student in here today, if you're a kid or a student, a college student that's starting school this week, I want to just encourage you to, to realize that your life can have huge influence as you go to school, as you rub shoulders with your peers. I wouldn't want to be in school today of all the things you guys have to deal with, the pressures, the temptations, the culture. But this invitation is for you too. Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life that can sustain you. You're going to be starting new classes. Some of you might be on new teams. You might be doing new clubs or programs. You might feel nervous afraid, know that Jesus, the bread of life, is the one that you can take with you to school, and he's the one that you can sustain you every single day and give you the power and the comfort and the companionship while you start this new season. I invite you today, choose to pursue the bread that comes from heaven Choose to pursue the bread that will sustain you. It is the one that will satisfy your deepest hunger. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you came and you you came to live among us to show us how to live. Jesus, bread of life, Teach us how to take you in every day to depend on you, to not go after food that spoils, to not pursue and strive after things of this world that are temporary or fleeting, but to know that you can be the bread from heaven that fills us and satisfies us at the deepest parts of who we are. And Lord, now as we move into a time of communion, I pray that it will be a a meaningful time to reflect on what you did for us on the cross and to reflect on this true meaning of the bread and the wine. So meet us in this time. In your precious name, amen. I want to invite Cliff up and our servers for communion today. We're going to do things a little bit different. We have three stations in the room. 
And I wanted to have uh, all of you come forward today for communion instead of have any stations in the back. And this is why. Sometimes it's just fun to be able to observe and see each other partaking in communion together. And I want us to be able to visibly see one another do that. Sometimes when I watch, I just say, Lord, would you open my eyes to see the people you want me to see, the facial expressions you want me to, to know, and to just deeply be grateful that this is a family that we get to share in this special meal with. I also want to say that um, the people that will be serving communion today are, you guys can come up, are some of our staff and our elders we couldn't get everybody up here because I limited it to three stations, but I just want it to be a visible representation of our leadership saying that we love you. We love being in this family with you, and we are uh, privileged to share this meal with you. Um, Jill and Matt would be up here if they could. Uh, just want to mention Matt's officiating a wedding this weekend for family. Jill is loving our kids downstairs. In a moment when I invite you forward to receive communion, if we could, listen up, I'm going to give some instructions. If you go to that station, line up along the wall, and then exit down this aisle. Just trying to keep things flowing today. We have a center aisle if you want to do the center station, and you'll come around and uh, exit down that way. And then over here, just line up along the wall, receive it, and then go down the aisle. Okay? In Luke 22, 19 through 20, we read, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. As <clears throat> is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So as you approach the table today, I just invite you in your spirit to pray the simple prayer, Jesus, bread of life, come and fill my soul. <clears throat> 